Welcome back to Yin and Yang, the podcast. This is episode 67 with Kelly uh, Hevastrite. Yeah, that's that's perfect. <laughs> that's the perfect pronunciation. Wow, I have to applaud you for that. Thank that's you. Really I good. I I googled it and then I realized, <laughs> oh, it's the same as your Instagram handle, Herbie Stripes, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very similar kind of pronunciation. I think that's where the username came from. It was like, <laughs> like middle school or something. No, I think it was like fourteen when when I decided that. But anyway, that was perfect, spot on, very very good. Eva Stripe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that's that's a uh, coming from a German lineage, I assume that mm -hmm. name. Okay. Yeah. Great. Great. So yeah, Kelly and I, we connected back at the Taiwanese American Film Festival year years ago. I was I want to say mm. maybe, I guess when Trump got elected around then. It's like uh, yeah, yeah, it, it was around then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because because uh, this podcast started around then. So we've known mm. each other since I guess the start of this podcast, and then um, we haven't reconnected in, in a minute. But it's good to reconnect now. And I've been following Kelly's work on uh, Instagram. Uh, she had a, a solo show called Satellite back in HK a few years back, and mm -hmm. uh, with which was like photo, uh, a photo, photo slash art installation. I want to correct me if I'm yeah. wrong. And, and some there's some was there audio of it as well, or was it? Yeah, there visual? was. So it was like uh, that was yeah. My first show was a couple years ago. Um, at the time I had released a zine, um, and I was sharing a space with some friends, um, where like, it was in a very, very old industrial building that apparently, uh, the story goes that like, it used to be government owned and then the landlord somehow managed to take the like the government to court and then won the rights to this building but uh mm. somehow because they had won that court case it meant that they were no longer allowed to have like a real address or something like that it's always very hard to find the space but um it's a very old building and we at the time rented two floors in the the like higher floor was the kind of art space that we were running. Uh, and we had, I mean, literally this is how it went. I didn't feel particularly like engaged in wanting to put on a show, but I had the zine coming out and one of the sort of co-renters of the space said, oh, well, we have like a week or so's open slot. Why don't you do a show? And so mm -hmm. I felt like, okay, I've never done that before. Why not do that? And it was literally like, few weeks of just every morning just like sleeping in the gallery and then just sort of like okay what are we installing today uh and just doing a lot of um like different kinds of installing so I had yeah a music piece I commissioned from a really good friend of mine I did some like I don't want to say sculpture, but I guess sculpture uh, and a few other like little installation pieces for a very immersive space. Mm. And I was really proud of the show, though at the time I was kind of too tired to appreciate it. Oh, but, yeah. uh, the the concept that I wanted to really um, kind of explore at that time, specifically with the show just to make the zine more of an expansive um, experience was 
I really liked the idea of kind of a private spectacle. So after we did the opening, um, I opened the space up for like private 30 minute viewings. So mm. a person could come and enjoy the space fully by themselves for like half an hour uh, and just have like a very kind of personal experience viewing the work. And mm. I got a lot of good feedback from that. I actually had a total stranger come. Uh, you had to like book it in advance. So I don't know how she found out about it. Like this name popped up in my little booking app. And I was like, do I know this person? And I asked the other people in the uh, in the space, like, do you know who this is? And they didn't know. Um, but she, so a total stranger, she gave me the best advice for it or the best uh, suggestion after, which is, oh, uh, I wish I could like see more shows like this where I can just have my own time privately to a space so that like I don't feel rushed or pressured to have to go through all the work and then get out because there are too many people. Mm. So I, I, she really enjoyed like that kind of private experience. And so that show taught me a lot and I'd like to do more in the future. But um, yeah, that was that was a really, really uh, special time, I have to say. And it was a it was a nice way to kind of expand my practice in a way that was uh, very challenging, but uh, mm. I I enjoyed it. Yeah, that process. That's dope. Yeah, I read. I looked at your Instagram, um, and uh, the stories. I you had like some. You had some writing too as well, which I liked. Uh, like he didn't take his shoes off. So I think he's gonna break up. With oh me. yeah. <laughs> so there were. So I mean, basically the show and the zine was uh, speaking on like a like a heartbreak situation where I it was COVID. I mean, we had broken up and then COVID hit, and I remember myself and a few friends we like isolated and then decided to go to uh, Joshua Tree, which is also like in and of itself a very kind of cliche thing to do but it was my first time How going dare you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was my first time going it was it was a really interesting experience because that was also my first time going to a real desert I mean for me having not grown up in America growing up in Hong Kong like most of the kind of climates and environments that I visited are all either very tropical or very um I don't know, very urban. And so mm. that was my first time experiencing a real desert. Uh, and that like week and a bit was a very interesting and very healing experience for me because I felt like I was trying to like run away from that situation that was happening. And then I realized I couldn't really do that. Um, mm. It's not really possible to run from that such a personal experience. Um, and so the, the thing that you were like uh, mentioning so I had a little installation with, um, I don't remember the name, but do you know, like when you go to a temple and then they have those like shaky cups and then they have the numbers in there and then you shake it and then you have to like wait for a number to drop and then you, yes. yeah, you pick a fortune. Yes. Yeah, that's according yeah. uh, with the number. And so I had that similar concept uh, at the show. I asked a, a friend of mine, uh, Terry, who's a really, really talented designer. And um, and uh, I, I don't want to say carpenter, but he he works a lot with with wood um, and like wood materials. But he he found this like old cup and he made these really uh, beautiful and quite like uh, 
I want to say very ergonomic kind of like handles that were supposed to represent like sand and being in Joshua tree. So kind of like a sand cup and then you mm. shake it. And instead of you getting a fortune, you're getting like a kind of little, a little handout with a real message that was sent between me and my past significant other. And so that, that one mentioning shoes was, it was a message on the day that he came to my house to break up with me. I was uh. talking to one of my best friends and he came into my house and he didn't take his shoes off. I remember texting my best friend being like, I think he's here to break up with me because he didn't take his shoes off. <laughs> and she was like, oh no, maybe he's in a rush. But you know, like in my in my Chinese brain, I was like, nah, this is this is some this is not only a disrespect, but this is something like is safe. <laughs> and I thought it was a very like funny, but also kind of sad uh yeah. takeaway from that experience. So I had to include it. Uh that was a very like. I got a lot of interesting and like kind of shocked responses from that one. <laughs> I mean, so it, uh, was it, it true it, though? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. have the message on my phone. I can show you later. I'm not, um, I'm yeah, not sure the it, message was true, but I'm did the the boyfriend or ex boyfriend come and break up with you that day? He did. He did. He did. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It just uh. You know, you you don't take your shoes off. What's what's the reason for that? Like you're in a hurry, I guess, right? And prior to that, he'd always taken his his shoes off my house. But anyway, um, yeah, I just. I mean uh, that. Yeah, I'm 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 in I'm I'm sorry I'm in disgust right now. He didn't take his <laughs> shoes off. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's How a dare. funny it's a funny takeaway because like it can mean so many different things. Um, and I didn't realize at the time that it could be kind of a, like a, a, in a way, something like a beautiful sentiment where it can be, it's something that really, really drove a lot of inspiration for that whole show. And also largely for the zine where this thing occurred and because it, it also sort of hit a like cultural, bone I guess it, it also kind of like made me reminisce about the time in a different way like I guess it, it also made me kind of uh reflect on a lot of the relationships and not just like romantic but also friendships that I had when I was living in America that felt very like unmatched culturally uh yeah. and so yeah, it, it was a, anyway, that was a very, very funny, but also kind of a nice thing that I still think about just as a point of like uh, reflection, I guess. Right. Yeah. And I think it does speak also to your, your intersection of cultures, right? Like you're writing it, you're writing that message in English, uh, mm -hmm. but it's a very Chinese, Asian, East Asian custom to take off your shoes coming into a house right so i think mm. it does be kind of like to your intersection of your own background i mean which if, if it's cool uh, i like to get into um so Go just for, for our yeah. listeners a zine is is a magazine right a magazine art mm. magazine okay and then uh for your so currently you do you're doing photography you're part of the zaza collective is that correct? oh that's <laughs> like, no it's uh don't ask me who came up with that name. We very much, because it's it's nine of us and we just sort of went with the democratic process, which is someone makes a makes a suggestion and like everyone votes on it. I don't know where yeah. I came from, but yeah. uh, so previously I had been sharing a space with a few of those friends and a few other people, but that kind of fell apart. And so uh, the Zaza Collective is like 
a giant kind of I don't want to say co-working space but just a space where uh we do shoots and we have each other's workshops there and so we're basically just a collective of artists and creative people uh, from different mediums and different disciplines. Uh, some of us being strangers, some of us being very good friends, um, just kind of occupying a space and doing work together. So we wanted to name our collective something because it's a, it's like a very kind of, well, at least I think a very unique kind of setup where it's also partially a commune because a few of them live there mm. um and myself and terry who i mentioned earlier we have like our own workshops in there so terry has his wood workshop and i have my black and white and color darkroom in there as well um and so it's, it's just kind of like it, it's like a it's an immersive and quite uh addictive kind of space because it also mm. feels like a place that you live in so right. we have our offices in there and our workshops and whatnot. So that's what the Zaza Collective is. Yeah. That's awesome. And this is all in Hong Kong. In uh... Yeah, it's all in Hong Kong. Yeah. Nice. Great. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess if we could start from the beginning. Yeah. Oh, Dan, sorry. Did you have a question? No. Yeah. no. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So where, uh, so you had, I met you in America, but you grew up in Hong Kong. So yeah, mm -hmm. can you tell us like a, maybe an introduction of your background? Um, your, mm, parent, your mom is sure. Taiwanese, your father is German. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. Um, so yeah, I was, this is a very like, it's a very long story, but um, <laughs> I, I was technically born in Germany, but then at the age of like one or two, um, my family, then my parents like emigrated to, uh, Hong Kong for my dad's business um, because he works in textiles and at the time like being in Hong Kong for textiles was very much like the move uh, the family business for generations was always in Germany and he felt like he wanted to bring it to Hong Kong so I grew up in Hong Kong uh, went to high school there I actually went to an Australian school uh, it was international school I was there for 14 years I don't know why we decided for me to go there. Um, I have no Australian lineage, but it <laughs> it kind of it it added to this very like mishmash experience that I had growing up of being very uh just like being in not just a place, but also in like a school setting where I'm experiencing a lot of different like cultural ideals and also meeting a lot of different people from different backgrounds um so a very like I guess diverse kind of upbringing um and then after I was in Hong Kong I then moved to Germany for a year um didn't really enjoy it that much and then decided to move to LA um so yeah my background is my mom's from Taiwan and my dad is German uh and yeah that's that's my background yeah so then are, are, yeah, your parents sorry, still, are your parents still in hong kong uh my dad is in hong kong uh my mom moved back to taiwan actually i'm i'm uh i'm at my mom's house right now um because i'm i'm visiting her at the moment uh, but my mom was in hong kong for a very long time until she decided to to move back uh, I often ask my dad actually, like, why would you stay in Hong Kong for all these years, or what? What is like making you want to stay here? And he always just says, "Why would I leave? Like, I have everything <laughs> here." And when he said that, I realized, like, 
Hong Kong is honestly very, very accommodating to um, expats and particularly just Western people living there. Um, not just because of our colonial history, but also I have to say, like, you can comfortably get around only speaking English, which I personally think is not a very good thing, um, at least in terms of like not like having like you being more open to learning about the culture of the country that you're in is optional versus like a requirement of moving um so it it's some anyway it's something that uh my dad feels like yeah it's a very convenient and comfortable place so why would I leave and yeah Hong Kong is is definitely that incredibly easy to settle in and very 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 comfortable for many many reasons or like uh the so high school Australian high school then you went to Germany for a year and then you went, mm -hmm. then you went to LA. Did you go to, you went to LMU, is that correct? Or uh, Yeah, I, I first started at PCC and then I transferred to LMU. Um, I actually had a really, really good time at PCC. I have to say <laughs> that was a uh, city college or. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had, I had a really, really good time there. And then when I transferred to LMU, it felt very like, um, foreign and very strange uh it was definitely less diverse definitely uh. diverse I have to say that but um but when I was at LMU I also did a kind of study abroad program so I also lived in Tokyo for eight months um oh, nice. and yeah it was it was a really good time because I I I made sure that I had a very open schedule. I picked the minimum amount of classes and I just went out <laughs> every single day. Um, but I, I think that that's also, in a way, I think it's a very important part of living in a new place, right? You get out there and you explore and you're curious as much as possible. And also like, I mean, it takes a lot to be a new person in a new place, especially when you don't really speak the language and you want to, like meet people or communicate in some way like that was also another uh good round of I guess like practice for me to just learn to be a bit brave with it um because prior to that I was also in Germany right and so learning German was also very very like intense and quite uh scary at times but um I have to say after having moved around a bit it it was good for me to have like had that practice to just kind of face your fears with like making mistakes when you're speaking or just like, you know, not fully understanding, but still being curious and open-minded. Um, yeah. So it was, that was a really, really, really good time. Definitely. So then would you say your, your strongest language is English or Cantonese? Uh, it's probably English. Cause it's my first language, but I have to say like when I'm in Hong Kong, I, I try to speak, uh more Cantonese uh or just I try to practice Cantonese as much as possible so much so that like when I came back to Taiwan this time I noticed that my accent was really off so my mom was like saying why are you speaking Mandarin like this like you sound like a Cantonese person I'm like oh my god it's like it's it's really bouncing around um and so yeah like I guess when I speak Mandarin I also have to kind of like you know, practice a bit, like, oh, make sure I get the tones right again. <laughs> like, the Cantonese keeps slipping out. Or there are even times where I will mistake certain words. Uh, like, for example, I, I recently had, like, I went to a cafe with a friend and I kept saying my dan 
like yeah. instead of like like you like when you want to pay like my don is the way that you like ask to pay in hong kong and i right. kept saying my don and lay looked very confused and i was like oh sorry 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 i had to keep correcting myself um so yeah th there are times where like cantonese will will slip out uh every so often Wait, that's interesting <laughs> i thought i thought my don would would be mandarin as well well it's like my don yeah, it's my dan, and then I guess in Cantonese it's my dan. It's like my dan. My dan. It's like the dan is like said differently. My dan. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, there are quite a lot of similarities actually. Like even if you say like hemafan, like very annoying, like homafan, it's just sort of the tone, right? Um, yeah. Which I have to say, um. Like I, I tell myself like, oh yeah, I'm learning Cantonese, but to be honest, it's just, I'm just using words that I know sound very similar in both languages and just like changing up the tone. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm in, for Cantonese. I'm in Japan. So like, I know, I know exactly what you're going through. I, I just, I just Japaneseify if I don't know, have no idea how to say it. So like. Yeah. Um, or you just say yeah. like English and then with like, uh, um, with A Japanese like, accent. Kana, right? Yeah. 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 Like photo club, oh, photo club, you know, like, club. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's even like the word that trips me out the most in Japanese is arbeito because arbeit means work in German. Yes. And so yeah. I'm like, where did this come from? It's very, very interesting. I don't know how they decided on that. Um, there are so many Japanese borrowed words that are like that. Like yeah. zibon. Zibon is um, the word for pants, but I think it's Portuguese. Mm, yeah like casa pan. also is umbrella yeah. uh which yeah. is like house right yeah yeah tosokan like tusukan also i think mm. korean also like tosokan like uh library sounds similar yeah it's very similar. similar yeah yeah and then number three san san yeah yeah true, san true. that gets yeah and then four sometimes it yeah, sounds like she. death yeah Su. she that sounds like death in mm. japanese that's why they also have yon as another way to pronounce oh. four in japanese i guess i don't know if that's the mm. reason why but yeah most people prefer yon instead of saying she because <laughs> mm. it sounds like death yeah yeah it does it does that's true yeah yeah, yeah. so okay, uh it. when was like your kind of like foray into like the arts because your your family your 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 dad did textiles um what mm. did your mom do i guess um growing up or like yeah so she i mean she was a stay-at-home mom she raised us at home which i'm i'm very thankful for that she like gave us that time uh and was like attentively there at home i think prior to that prior to getting married she worked in I think HR or something. So my family definitely didn't really, uh, most people don't really work creative jobs at all. Um, mm. So in a way that kind of uh, made me even like seek out creativity and art or whatsoever uh, more urgently when I was a kid, um, just because I felt like, oh, well, you know, like my family is not that into it. So <laughs> I guess it's just me who's into it. Okay, just me alone doing all this. Um, so, <laughs> but I, I had to say I had a, a lot of like friends growing up who had very good taste and who were just very curious about different kinds of like, uh, you know, mediums and like aside from just like very traditional art. I mean, for one, even though I have a lot of thoughts about it, like 
textiles, fashion. I have to say fashion is also um, a very good kind of entryway into seeing the kinds of like expansive ways in which art can uh, exist. I mean, if we were to look at it from a very orthodox or a very like kind of I don't want to say corporate, but I guess kind of a corporate like perspective. I think the the most like easy sort of entryway into it now would be, for example, like LV did the Kusama collaboration. Um, aside from just like using her kind of very token um, dot pattern, but also seeing how they've like uh, shown sort of mini exhibitions in their stores. So I have to say as a kid, like being in a fashion family was uh, very important in many ways because I, I also became curious about like creativity and art uh, from like from that angle first. So I was reading a lot of like fashion books, um, learning a lot about different designers and then going from there. So like, OK, I'll, I'll see. Let's see. Uh, for example, like Alexander McQueen and seeing how revolutionary and innovative he was as a designer. And then going from there, then seeing, oh, okay, well, these musicians and these DJs would collaborate with him as well. And then going down that rabbit hole and then, oh, from there, just like, you know, mm. sort of picking up the the um, the scent, I guess, and just sort of going in, in that direction. Um, yeah, so like fashion was a very uh the very first start I had in kind of learning about um ways in which you can be creative and ways in which you can like channel your creative energy um yeah that was that was the first the first thing I kind of was interested in at a young age and then it went from there was that around like maybe elementary or high uh junior high school high school you, th you would say or it's always been a part of your life since you can remember I think it's always kind of been a part of my life, but I think not in a way in which, let's say like a very artist's family kind of uh, operates. Like my family is still very, very traditional, excuse me, and also in a way quite like conservative. So like my dad and my parents, they still have like their own kind of ideas or like prejudices towards like an artist's life or, or about like creativity and this and that sort of I think in a very traditional mindset of oh well this is something that maybe western people can do but for us as like an Asian family that's not really a path that we would suggest you to take because it's not an easy way to make money or this and that um, which is interesting because my dad being German, I thought he would have been a bit more supportive in that area, but uh, he's also very equally quite traditional in that mindset. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's like, how to say, um, fashion, at least that entryway, that entry point was always kind of present in my life. Like that door was always kind of there to be opened but only because there was that like textile background and textiles is a lot more technical it's more to do with like manufacturing than let's say high fashion for example mm. um but in hong kong i mean people are definitely quite um shall we say highly interested in brands and mm. uh, appearing a certain way 
so you are I think constantly being um like exposed to that type of imagery and that type of like lifestyle it's just always there even when mm. you're a kid I mean to give kind of an extension of that like I'd always heard that America was like the country of like the biggest shopping malls and just like mall culture. And then I get to America and I'm like, oh no, this is nothing like Hong Kong. Like Hong uh. Kong, I have to say their mall culture is on a completely different level. Like families <laughs> will just go to a shopping mall to hang out on a weekend. Some apartment buildings are connected to shopping malls. They're even MTR, like our subway. MTR stations that are connected to shopping malls. So that very hyper kind of capitalist um, lifestyle is just always in your face um, <laughs> in, in Hong Kong. So um, anyway, yeah, it, it, it that sort of being in that kind of environment uh, exposed me to a lot of that, like brands and like high fashion and stuff as a, as a young yeah. kid. You can't escape it. It's always there. Right. I think like Taipei is kind of materialistic, but then Hong Kong, it's on like another level of capitalism. That's like late stage capitalism, like super like when I visited, I've only visited a few times. And uh, yeah, mm. I, 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 the energy, well, I was only coming as a tourist and only for a few days, but the energy was like, oh, I feel a little kind of anxious, you know, here. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. I don't, yeah, I yeah. will say like, um, so our, uh, our studio, for example, is in a neighborhood that I really, really love because uh, so it's in an area called Topawan, which is right next to the like where the old Kai Tak airport used to be. So mm. if you look up any like old pictures of Hong Kong, you'll see like pictures of airplanes landing very, very closely to skyscrapers and buildings Ooh. because historically, yeah, that was the only airport that we had. And it was the most notorious airport, I think, in the world because it was so hard to land. Um, it's not there anymore, but our neighborhood is still very like they say underdeveloped, but I like to say just not really gentrified, which is nice. So it's still a very kind of uh like very low rent and a lot of mom and pop shops and so the areas that I find myself more drawn to are very reminiscent of old Hong Kong not mm. just because it's nostalgic in a way but also because like you feel a very very strong sense of community in certain areas and growing up in Hong Kong like for some reason I always thought that like that was just not like a thing that you experience in an Asian country. Like you only experience like true neighborhoods in Western countries, not true at all. But for some reason I had that perception. And so when I then moved back to Hong Kong at a later stage in my life and like made a lot of new friends and connected and reconnected to places that I had, like I used to go to and things like that. And then also finding all these little neighborhoods that are, like still very reminiscent of old Hong Kong life and also just very, very like culturally and also just in a communal way, very, very like very connected. I mean, if you go to Tokwal Wan, just as an example, uh, you'll see on a lot of these very old buildings, like some neighbors will like have signs outside their house saying like, we don't want developers here, like property developers go away. We don't want you mm. here. Things like that so there's a kind of interesting solidarity in certain places of, of hong kong that are like that 
where it isn't so like tense, like you were saying, or very like anxiety inducing or very disconnected. Um, you still have these types of old neighborhoods that like neighbors still talk to each other. People still know each other's business in a way. Um, but I, I find myself very like happy to be engaged in that because uh, it also really helps you kind of learn about like an old past life in Hong Kong that you wouldn't possibly know. Mm. Uh, yeah. So I forgot what we were talking about initially. No, that's but anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were talking about the uh, the capitalism in Hong Kong and textiles. Oh, right. mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I I feel that you see it like in a lot of Hong Kong, definitely, but you still are able to get smaller neighborhoods as well that, uh, you know, is a lot more about like communal living and like proper neighborhoods, I want to say. So, um, yeah, and considering how small Hong Kong is, it's kind of miraculous that so many different types of, you know, neighborhoods can coexist in one place. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I really I'm, I'm glad I, I moved back, to be honest, I, I moved back initially just because of COVID uh, and also temporarily in the beginning. But I found that um, I was able to kind of see my hometown from a very different perspective as an adult and also as an adult who had previously lived in America for so many years. And so I felt like I was coming back with uh, sort of like less weight on my shoulders in a way mm. um, and with a bit more of an open mind. And so I've, I've had a, a really good time in Hong Kong ever since going back and uh, I decided just, uh, like last couple of years that maybe it's time I go back. So um, mm. yeah, I'm I'm glad I made that made that choice at this point. It's a homecoming for you. You're going. You're back home. I guess. Right? Yeah, back home. <laughs> definitely. Now, Dan, did you ever go to? Did you ever live in Hong Kong at all? Or you I never to... lived in Hong Kong. I I went there in the early '90s just to visit my dad and my stepmother and my half sister yeah. at the time. But I haven't had a chance to go back. And my stepmother's here, so right. Mm. Mm. Because your your family has some ties to Hong Kong as well. Yeah, through my stepmother primarily. So someday. Yeah. When so yeah, it's come through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll look you up. I'll, I'll ask Definitely. James. Definitely. Because yeah, I want to go to Tatantang. Because oh, of, which which one is the question? So I, many Tatantang. <laughs> I want to go to the original. There's one I forget what it's called. Um, I just saw the YouTube on it. It was like they said they were the original ones. It's a very small place. Lamphoi. I don't know. I'll I'll look it up. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, I mean, if you do come, please let me know. There are endless Tantan Tangs I can take you to. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, sorry, what's a Tantan Tang for the non-Cantonese speaker here? <laughs> it's a tea shop. Tantan Tang is like yeah, it's like a tea house, but they also serve food like a lot of uh, dim sum. Mm. Uh, but Tan San Tang is, well, actually not really dim sum, to be honest. Tan San Tang also, like, they have, oh, how do you describe? Western you know, foods? Like, like Chinese yeah. Western foods. Yeah. But also, like, uh, like the macaroni soups and yes. then also, like, the omelets. And interestingly, so I, I didn't know this until I recently went to this restaurant. Um, I'm blanking on the name. 
but it's a chain restaurant in Hong Kong where they have this like Cantonese take on Western food. So I went with a friend. I didn't know during the colonial period when the British took over, um, as a Chinese person, you were not allowed to go into any Western restaurants or any kind of what? Western establishments. You're not allowed to. So then That's Hong Kong up. people were like, okay, screw this. We're going to make our own restaurants. So a lot of what you see of this kind of like Cantonese style Western food came from this colonial history where you were not allowed to even present yourself in these establishments. Um, so yeah, a, a lot of that type of food, like it's like an interesting little twist. Like uh, it tastes very Chinese, but still like traditionally like a Western dish um yeah you, you find a lot of that uh a lot of that there i think tang probably like those types of dishes probably also have some connection to that history as well mm. i would say yeah yeah and do you have a favorite one that's favorite tang hmm um <laughs> to be honest i do but it's not because of the quality of the food or anything it's just because it's our neighborhood one and uh. the lake there are very nice there's also a cat in there um <laughs> which uh yeah that that's also kind of a hong kong phenomenon is like you have a lot of these old medicine shops and not really tantan tangs but some restaurants also have cats in them mostly to keep you know mice, mice. like mm. rats away um but that that's very very typical most i would say like old school medicine shops have at least one or two cats in there. Um, so that's always a nice surprise when you go to a <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's there for pest control. Okay. That's, that's, it's, mm -hmm. it's cute and it's, and it's uh, efficient Useful. or convenient. Yeah. 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 Because uh, I, I looked into this because one of, our, <laughs> one of our studio mates wants to have a cat in our space. And okay. so our building in Tokwawan is very, very old and, there are a lot of rats in there. Uh, so apparently you like the cat doesn't even have to do anything. The second a mouse or a rat smells that there is a cat present, it will not go anywhere near the premises because it's oh. like it smells the predator. So it's like the easiest kind of rat uh, <laughs> management solution is you just get a cat to just like sit on your floor all day and then that's oh. like problem solved. Yeah. Huh. I don't think that's true in America, though. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I tell you that because I have two cats, and yeah, maybe maybe well, their guess... smell's not strong enough. Their pheromones are not strong enough, or I don't know. <laughs> maybe, or they're just fearless. I mean, makes yeah. sense. Yeah, fearless rats in America. Oh man, it's scary. So Kelly, growing up, like, uh, was it? Uh, you have brothers or sisters? Yeah, yeah, I have. Uh, my younger brother, who is five years younger than me, um, we grew up in the same house. And then I have my half sister uh, from my dad and my stepmom, uh, who is 10 years younger than me. So she's like at that interesting age. And I'm like seeing a lot of the old kind of <laughs> aggressions I dealt with that she's dealing with at that age. Um, okay. So, yeah, I'm, I'm the oldest. Yeah. Eldest daughter syndrome for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And growing is, up, like, would you? Oh, sorry, Dan. We'll go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm I was just like looking ask... up this Tatsan thing. <laughs> oh, what'd you, what'd you find? I'm, I'm looking it up right now. I'll, I'll okay. let you know. You guys go. <laughs> I'll yeah, I, I was gonna ask, like, growing up, it's uh, what, what, what was spoken in the household? I guess what language or languages? Yeah. Um, I think 
Zhonghua, like all Chinese with my mom. Um, I think I was like, I was very fluent in it when I was a kid, but then I went to international school. I think my parents were like, well, she has to be able to speak good English. Otherwise she can't go to any good university or anything like that. She can't mm. excel in her school life. So then we would speak a bit of English after I started going to school. My dad would speak a bit of German with me, but um, my parents separated when I was, I think, 11. But even prior to that, he didn't, he would speak a bit of German, but not that much. Um, but I, I, when I moved to Germany the year after high school, I, um, I did really, really intensive tutoring for it. And so I learned really, really quickly. And I also lived in like a very small kind of village setting. So no one spoke any English. So I didn't have that option. Yeah. So I was just tutoring five hours a day, five days a week. Um, and I learned extremely fast and I will say the best thing that came out of that was I was finally able to talk to my grandparents who didn't speak any English at all and has never spoken English. They only speak German. So I'm still, as of now, the only sibling who can communicate with my with my grandparents. Um, yeah, so on your dad's yeah, side, strangely, they don't speak any any English. My papa though, she like, I mean, she's amazing. She's like a Shanghai lady who then moved to Taiwan later on. Uh, she like, even though Chinese is her like Mandarin is her first language, she spoke very very decent English. And mm-hmm. I always ask my mom, like, where did she learn this from? Like, where could she have learned this from? And she doesn't know. <laughs> so my papa was actually quite, she was also very gifted with uh, with languages. I don't think she was like a polygot or anything, but she uh, she was very curious about languages, as is my mom. So that's mm. still part of the family, I think. Yeah, um, I was super surprised when we, I was like, oh, gong daigi. And and I like you can speak Thai, Taiwanese a little bit. Daigi, uh, it's a little bit. I mean, it's like just from <laughs> watching like cartoons and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if my mom would like get like angry at me or my brother, she would be like Gaoginga, which is like monkey children or something. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, just a little bit. But I I didn't know that it's still so widely spoken in in Taiwan. Um, mm. I had no idea until I came back this time. And then I like, when I will like be in a shop or at a restaurant and then I'll hear the tables next to me speaking a bit of like Taiyu or people uh. like, we went to a, like a flower festival recently and there were so many aunties speaking Taiyu and I'm like, oh, interesting. <laughs> cool. People were still speaking it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, Taiwanese has had a resurgence, I think because of national pride to be honest in response to like chinese aggression to taiwan so mm. i think ta- the, the language taiwanese has had a resurgence especially since like the sunflower movement when the uh, the the, mm. the young taiwanese people took over i believe it's called the par- parliament building i believe um mm. but yeah so uh yeah dan uh, before you leave do you have any thoughts or any questions you want to share yeah it's a lan feng yun i don't know where lan it's lan Oh, that one is like, is that the one on, I think it must be on Kowloon's side. Okay, I will I will look that up also because I've probably been there at some point. Um, <laughs> yeah. But okay, I, I will note this for when you do eventually visit, I will take you there. Yeah, no because Lan Feng Yun, it, it just looked very interesting. And the guy mm. was explaining that he like bruised the tea seven times. 
with oh, a long sock. Oh. He cooks it or like boils it and then like pulls it out and then drains it and then like seven times. I was like, holy crap, I'm willing to pay for that. I don't want to yeah. do that at home. Do they use the like the sock method? Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Wow. Okay. I, I should I should also go. I yeah. guess. Seven times. Wow. That's what's worth the money. That was clean as well. It's also cooked. Right. right? So I was like, oh, I, I don't think the milk teas and SGV in San Gabriel Valley or anything like that. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I guess not. Unless someone decides to to bring it and like uh teach some people how to do it that way. Yeah. Right. The guy said he was like he he uh the founder, I guess. He just got a bunch of like old tea or not old, but he got a bunch of teas from different places or people kept giving him teas and he would just mix it all together. It wasn't just like one type of tea. So he just like has a bunch of teas in a jar and just like starts brewing. So he says, that's why it's so smooth. Seven times. (laughs) But uh, um, my language corner before I go uh, Mm. is Hopakwa. Hobakwa is like very nosy. My my sister used to tell me that all the time when I ask her questions. Hobakwa. 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 Yeah, Hobakwa. Yeah, nosy. I told my mom that. <laughs> She'll use it for me as well. She's like, I asked her about her like social life. She's like, Hobakwa. <laughs> You're Hobakwa. Are you like, nosy? <laughs> I asked her for the, the origin of that, that idea. And because the Bagua is like all sides, right? Eight eight sides. The trigram. Bagua mm. is like Oh, the, the Bagua. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so from all sides. Uh, oh. She's not for sure. She doesn't know for sure, but she used to say that to me all the time when I asked her about her social life. <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, Bagua. Wow, that's like, that's a good term to like, if you have an auntie in your life who's really nosy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. Cool. Yeah. yeah. But I'm going to get ready to go pick up my wife. It was very nice meeting you, Kelly. Um, nice meeting I, you as well. I'll definitely look you up uh, if we go back to Hong Kong. I'm sure we will because my stepmother, she's going to move back. Her whole family's back there. So she's going to move back. She's planning on moving back and I'll have a base of operations, which is important. Okay. Mm, gotcha. <laughs> Otherwise, gotcha. I have to like squat in your studio. That's all yeah, that's no problem. <laughs> I mean, it's a commune after all. You're welcome. Okay. <laughs> awesome all right take care of yourself all right take care thank you yeah yeah bye bye Bye. yeah let's see oh i think uh yeah we could probably just talk for a little bit more if that's cool how's your time looking no i'm fine no worries my my mom went to like buy some groceries so we are good no problem and you visited tokyo recently too yeah yeah, I visited. I I was supposed to go with um one of my old roommates from LA, but um I think like the embassy in China, uh, because she was in China for a bit prior. Um, mm. the embassy in China, I guess, was really delayed with giving her her visa, so she couldn't make it in the end. Um, but oh, it's cuckoo clock. No <laughs> way for it to pass. Um, but I decided to go anyway because I hadn't okay. been in so many years and I had friends there that I wanted to see yeah. um I, I actually is there a clock I can't even hear it is there something going on you can't hear it really it's like a cuckoo okay I can it? hear it now yeah 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 
Actually, interestingly, cuckoo clocks are uh, quite a staple in most German households. That was huh. the one weird thing I had in my Popo's house was like when my dad married my mom, um, he gave my Gong Gong and my Popo like an old German cuckoo clock as a gift. Mm. And so for years, that cuckoo clock was in, in their home. Um, but, but anyway, yeah, so I, <laughs> I was, uh, so back to Tokyo, uh, yeah, I was just there for like eight days and it was a really nice time being mm. back there. I have to say Tokyo is a very good city for like introverts. Oh, really? You can really just mm. like not interact much with people and just get through your day and, uh, you can really live that very secluded life, uh, there. I mean, even though I had a good time uh, during those eight months when I lived there, like, I don't think I could ever really, like, live there again. It's mm. definitely a, a really quite uh, difficult and just, I mean, I don't want to say just overly bizarre because I think that that's also kind of a, like, I, I suppose, like, a stereotype of, like, that city. People just always say, oh, it's such a weird place. Mm. But I think just... um. I guess socially, there's so many different hierarchies there that seem kind of beyond my understanding because I didn't grow up there. Right. Um, and so, yeah, like I, I have to say the one thing I felt the most consistently when I lived there was I just felt like I was being rude 24-7. <laughs> no one would tell me what I was doing wrong. They just don't tell you. You have to guess. You have and to I guess, really don't yeah. like that. Yeah, it's just like very very tense all the time or I feel like I have to oh I'm sitting a bit too close to this lady maybe I should move a bit or oh am I like my headphones too loud oh I shouldn't be that loud so yeah that that was what I felt a lot when I was living yeah there. I'm even I'm living more like Inaka more like country-ish but it's not like oh, okay yeah I'm in central um Japan you're con in the Kansai area hmm. so I guess when you visit you just stayed in the Tokyo area yeah, I was just mostly yeah. in in Tokyo. Um, yeah. I did visit like Osaka a few times. I really like Osaka people because they yeah. they're really like they're really like a hoot. They're very very yeah. laid back, and then you also can't really understand what they're saying most of the time. Um, <laughs> but they're yeah they're they're very they remind me a lot of Hong Kong people in a way. Ah. Like Hong Kong people are also I have to say like I really like the Hong Kong character. Like, I think mm. Hong Kong people are also, they're very direct, which I, I personally really like because I'm also quite direct. Um, mm. But they're also, like, in a way, they, they can also be very laid back, but also work very hard. So, like, Hong Kong people are, like, kind of just, like, like a character, I feel. Um, mm. And I, I really, really am drawn to that type of, like, person, like, Hong Kong people in, in general. But, um, yeah, so Osaka people remind me a lot of, of Hong Kong people. For sure right yeah that directness i mean you know if you come to japan you're like welcome to the indirect country right <laughs> yeah 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 100%. <laughs> right right That's yeah. so true. i i'm yeah. living here my fiance she's um japanese and um she tells hmm. me um because you know we're gonna get married so she tells me directly sometimes uh it's been better but like before starting out was like indirect like oh what am i doing wrong but then now it's been a little bit more direct like simple stuff like oh you know, lift up the toilet seat, stuff like that. Simple stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's um, that's good though. That like 
that port of communication is opening up because uh, so my my cousin who's Taiwanese married um, a Japanese man and uh, the two of them have two kids now. Um, and so like during the course of their relationship and now their marriage, like I think I remember like my cousin also kind of talking to me about like, yeah, the kind of indirectness that she would experience maybe not always in a relationship, but also just living, living there um, wow. and that being very difficult. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, I can, I can relate to, to what you're saying and like, I can mm. sympathize with that. It's, it's really hard, but um, I mean, you make it work, right? You and make you it like, work. Yeah. And what's weird yeah. is we speak Mandarin to each other. Cause my Japanese is not oh, that good. Yeah. My cousin and her husband do the same thing. Oh really? He also speaks Mandarin. Yeah. 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 Oh, um, wow. He speaks very good Mandarin actually. So yeah. It, 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 like they, they speak English and a lot of Mandarin too. Um, oh. so that's cool. Oh, yeah, similarly. So I, so we I speak Mandarin oh. because like her English level is it's not not the great it's not good. Yeah, yeah. And she she oh. admits it, yeah. I mean it, yeah. You you found that oh. probably living here when in Japan the English level is like it's below it's below Taiwan, it's below definitely below Hong mm. Kong. Yeah, yeah. Mm, oh. Oh, 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 I see, I see. No, 我们他是去年学, oh, sorry, listeners, we're going to speak in Mandarin. <笑>就是我他是去年我们在台湾认识的对所以我们在因为他哦在台湾哦对对对我们在台湾认识的然后他后来他有回去日本然后我我自己在日本有找到一个工作叫英文的工作所以刚好我们可以一起在日本生活对
when you're in Japan, you're very, very, very disconnected from that. You get very, very easily kind of like caught up in like what's very localized. I don't know. Um, right. I yeah. So I mean, that's something that like if you plan to have like a family later, that's definitely something that you could do. Consider, yeah. Yeah. 对，我说错，不是去年，是前年。呃，二零二二零二一年，我去就是那个新冠肺炎的时候，就是那个 pandemic 的时候，就回去台湾，就觉得啊，美国。我不要，我要休息，我要去别的，我要住台湾一下。Uh, 对，我也是一样。对对对对对对，因为那时候美国就有一点紧张吧。对啊对啊。嗯，很困难住在那边，我觉得真的。还有你生病的话，真的很哇，很恐怖，很恐怖、啊。对啊。对对对对对，我真的觉得你 ，when you take a break, it's very very important. I think. Yeah.、Right? And I met my fiance, so it it was a win win, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs>、uh, yeah, I guess one last thing, like, uh, uh, you probably get this a lot, given like, uh, your 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 background of like different like, German, Taiwanese, but in Hong Kong, so like, uh, but it sounds like you found your home in Hong Kong. As far as like, um. Like identity, I like was identity ever like a thing growing up? Like were people like, hey, you don't really look like Chinese or stuff like that, or how has that played a part in your life? And and where have you come to terms maybe with um what your identity? We've we've had like other like, I guess half is like term in Japanese. I guess、mm. uh, mixed pe-、uh, people with uh mixed backgrounds, and I'm、uh, just curious to hear your thoughts on that. Um, it's probably something、mm. you've. Thought about, or you've come across, maybe, yeah.、Mm, yeah, I mean, identity has always played a very, very big part in my life, and has always been kind of a, I don't want to say necessarily an obstacle, but it's always been kind of a, a difficult point of kind of yeah, like reflection and just thinking about who I am and what I. Like represent, I suppose.、Um, growing up, I mean, from young, like a really young age, I was already made aware of my kind of my race or just my ethnicity in general.、Um, and I always kind of wondered, like, oh, where do I really, you know, belong? Am I? I, I for the longest time, had wanted to leave Hong Kong for a very long time. So I just felt、uh. like, oh, this place is. Not suitable for me at all. No one understands me. I guess if I move to America, people will understand me. Not the case at all.、Mm. Um, but <laughs> I mean, I, I I have to say, like,、uh, this kind of like very like this confusion about my identity has been something that plagued me for a long time. I will say,、uh, but I think like. At the heart, I I definitely feel very very like Chinese. I feel very Asian. I guess、um, just having grown up here, and also I think a lot of my values are very tied to very Chinese values as well. And then going back to Hong Kong really reiterated that for me. But at the same time, I will say that like. There are a lot of ideals, sort of in Asian culture, that I do not agree with and I don't like.、Mm. Like, for example, being very indirect, especially with family. Like in family, like you don't really tell people everything, or you're not very upfront about your feelings. You just have to keep it to yourself for the good of the family unit. 
there are aspects of that I don't like. And so being in America and also having that sort of German uh, side of me was like, it gives me kind of an escape from that. Um, and so I, at this point, being in Hong Kong and also I have to say most of my friends predominantly being Cantonese people, I feel like I, and also Cantonese people who don't make me feel othered. They don't make me feel like I don't understand, or they don't make me feel like I am just like a foreign person who doesn't get it. Mm. Like, I think having that kind of community around me also really helps with just like accepting that, okay, maybe I'm this kind of more culturally ambiguous person, but because I'm older, I can identify what values are important to me and what types of things I can accept from people and what I cannot accept. Um, mm. With that being said, though, I will say that being a white person, like I've definitely benefited from a lot of privilege, especially in Hong Kong. I actually remember uh, some years ago, I had a conversation with my brother about like, so you know how uh, when the so when the Black Lives Matter protests were taking place, I remember hearing a lot of stories about like friends telling me when they were made aware of their race. And a lot of the time, like in the stories from friends, at least they would mention that there was always like a third party or someone outside of their immediate community that would make mm -hmm. a comment or something that make them very aware that like, oh, I'm not like I'm a I'm black, like I'm a black person, like I'm mm. of a different race than this person. Um, and when I would hear these stories, I would feel very fascinated by them because in my case, my own family made me very, very aware of it, but from kind of a weird angle, like I'd always hear, because in, in Taiwan or in Hong Kong also, actually in quite a lot of uh, Southeast Asian countries, I have to say, if you are like of white descent or Caucasian descent, like you're considered like you will have more benefits in your life or like you will have a leg up on a lot of different things more than the average Asian person. So I would have my own family tell me things like, oh, because she's like a mixed kid, she can be, you know, like a model or she can go live in like so many different countries or she will just have more opportunities than the average Asian person. And mm -hmm. as a kid, I didn't really think much of that. But growing up, I've like really reflected on how actually like I that kind of like white privilege was already kind of presented to me from such a young age. Like even oh. in Hong Kong, if I like if I don't have a mask on at certain points, like I'm probably not going to get fined. But if a cop like confronts one of my Hong Kong friends, like my Cantonese friends, they're probably going to get a ticket over me. Oh, wow. So, okay. Yeah, like there's still, there, there's a lot of like kind of aspects of my life where my privilege definitely like as a half white person, like gives me like more, I guess like a, like a peace of mind over certain things, especially with how kind of authoritarian the government has become. Uh, ah. like, there are a lot of things that I don't really have to worry too much about, but let's say my local friends have to worry about. Like I, I've known a lot of friends who have been arrested during the protests, um, and who still kind of fear for like what's going to happen to them because they're still like waiting for a trial. Um, oh, and so, yeah, like with that being said, I've made peace with my identity, but I also like 
constantly try to remind myself that like there is not a level playing field here like I have a lot more benefits than my friends for example and so I have to make sure that like I keep that in check and I also do what I can to like help my friends who don't have those benefits um mm. so yeah that's something I still feel very very strongly even having left America um yeah. I feel maybe stronger being in Hong Kong actually yeah right because it's interesting I mean in America then your experience was probably different because then your Asianness is more I guess was it more exotic I guess in, in America yeah right? or just yeah. more accentuated um yeah I had like just I mean speaking back to the satellite show and that past relationship I'll yeah, never yeah. forget like uh there was a kind of racist like a sort of microaggression that took place in my past relationships like friend group and the conclusion to that was not really an apology but just oh Kelly's not from here so she can feel however way she wants to and I I'll never forget that because it just felt like even though I've kind of trained myself to be sort of able to live in American society I suppose I'm still othered like I'm still not really uh like a part of the well I'm not like fully white so there's still some things that I I can't really like be too connected to or there's something that I just don't understand also having not grown up there yeah. uh so yeah like I I felt almost a kind of almost like an imposter when I was living in the U.S. So mm. that's why like having sort of more experiences with the Asian American community was like really, really eye-opening. And that like the Taiwanese American Film Festival, like that was such a like soulful and like great <laughs> experience because I was like meeting other people who were Taiwanese, but also had like kind of a like Western, shall we say, background as well, like being yeah, in yeah. America. And so uh, like, even though in America was a bit eh, like with my identity being a bit more kind of out of whack, I suppose, but there were still a lot of communities there that felt very like, like I had a good connection to mm -hmm. like at TAF and a few other friends that I've made in, in the US, but yeah. Um, yeah kind of a, a mixed mixed bag right i mean that's identity. that's life right uh that's live yeah that's true. life it's a mixed yeah. bag uh, mm -hmm. uh so yeah i mean to wrap things up um oh just to, uh i don't we don't have to go too depth too in depth to it but like how is mm. the situation in hong kong right now as far as like free speech and mm. is that something you can talk about or maybe that's another whole podcast or <laughs> It is, but I'll, I'll give like a little kind of glimpse on it. Um, so, I mean, it is getting worse to be honest, um, but it's it's getting worse more like behind the, like behind the shadows, I suppose. Like, so from a kind of like current events standpoint, a lot more protesters who were previously arrested and were awaiting their trial for years um, are now finally being sentenced. So a lot of that is happening. And oh. there's just a lot of like small bureaucratic changes that are being made. Um, I, I guess like, 
one thing just as an example is I think on most government websites like the Chinese uh like the mainland government logo is now included on a lot of like government websites previously it was not uh okay. it's like a small thing but uh that and quite a lot of other kind of current event things have taken place in the last year and a bit especially yeah. because of the COVID lockdown um with that being said though I think that more so because people don't know I think that like people who look at a place like Hong Kong have this like kind of perhaps they have this kind of uh like standpoint of oh it must be completely impossible to live a free life in Hong Kong that's totally not the case mm. um you American still media see... likes to push that narrative yeah 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 <laughs> or I'm mean, just like it, it it's sort of like a it's an unwanted response to like just basic journalism trying to speak on specifics to like systemic issues that are in place but of course like I mean if anyone hears about there being systemic like inequalities in a place that they don't know anything about that's maybe the first thing that they just think about when they think about that country if that makes any sense um in Hong Kong like you still get a lot of let's say art shows where I mean it's featuring a lot of like protest art you still mm. see a lot of places where you can see kind of like and talk to people about the history of the protests and what happened for example there are a lot of shops in hong kong where um if they have sympathy towards protesters or just like their yellow shops for example they'll have like a little like a figurine of one of the protest symbols in their store or like oh. a sticker or something to kind of say like we're in solidarity with protests um, a lot of stores have that. Now the police are like slowly kind of going around to different shops and like arresting them for it. But it's happening oh, very, that's happening very slowly. People are also not stupid. Like people are like finding ways to like show their solidarity in their daily life. Even though protesting strictly is uh, illegal now, um, uh. people are still able to, you know, show their support in their own way just maybe not at the same scale as it used to be um mm. so you're still able to live a semi free life in hong kong just as long as you're very very careful and as long as you don't get arrested um so yeah, yeah it's it's gone worse but it's still like you can still live a good life there i think um, i guess you have to be savvy about it um but there's st there's still maybe more freedoms in comparison to probably uh, like mainland China, possibly, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely. Um, or it's just like, like people are not as on edge, perhaps, uh, in the mainland, or at least from what my friends tell me, because I mean, that's the mainland. Whereas in Hong Kong, it's like there's special surveillance that is like taking place in Hong Kong because uh, of the protests and because like we don't want that to happen again so we're gonna pay extra attention to make sure it doesn't happen again oh jeez. Um, yeah yeah so but it's 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 all right you, you still like i said you'll still see a lot of like solidarity and like expressions of that in your daily life you'll still see it yeah i mean 
Taiwan, when I was visiting Taiwan, I think it was during the protests, the Hong Kong protests, and it was like, uh, 今天, 今天, 香港, 明日, Taiwan, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they I, would I say still like, see stickers like, of that in certain <laughs> shops in Taiwan. Today, yeah, Hong yeah, Kong, yeah. tomorrow, Taiwan, yeah. And so Ta- I think Taiwanese people in general, I from my feeling, is they're in solidarity with Hong Kong. They they, they support Hong Kong for um, the protests. Um but yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, let's wrap it up. I guess we have two questions we usually wrap up with. Um, first, yeah. uh, what's something that keeps you balanced? We're called the yin and yang, kind of like play of yin and yang. Yeah. Right? So, like, <laughs> so uh, yang's my middle name. Um, yin is oh, Dan's my. last name. Yeah. So uh, what's something that keeps you balanced? Like yin and yang, like what, what helps you stay like fairly, you know, like you're not going over the edge. You're staying, you know, like, oh, I, I, yeah, I'm doing okay. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I suppose like family, right? And like uh, having a close relationship to family is very, very important. Like even before I was here, like I call my mom every day, even if it's just for oh, five wow. minutes, just to yeah, I mean, just you know, like just to hash it out, just to like hear like, oh, what are you doing today? Oh, I have a class. Okay, bye, bye. <laughs> just to you know, like keep the flow of communication going. I think is important. Just let them know you're okay. So having family and being actively close to family uh has definitely helps keep my my yin and yang balance uh, oh, okay. <laughs> in, in my life yeah consistently that's good and and mm-hmm. you talk with your dad fairly often too yeah i mean we actually live in the same house in hong oh, kong okay. so yeah it's like i'll see him at home either way um <laughs> so it's it's nice i think yeah to have that kind of closeness definitely oh great and then um language corner i think we've already mentioned a co- couple of cool words like hobakwa and then mm. yeah i guess i'm trying to think of what cantonese phrases do i know i mean i know mgoisai right mgoisai is like a thank you right thank but you, so yeah. there's there's two different ways to say thank you in cantonese there's thoughtse and then there's mgoisai thoughtse uh. is like when you receive gift or when you receive money yeah. Even if like, let's say you're a taxi driver and then you just receive your fare, you say thoughts yeah. because you're receiving ah, like good, you're receiving money. So guy uh, is like guy size is like uh, sort of like a more like a general thank you, but uh, also guy is like a like guy is kind of like an excuse me. So the guy of guy side, like if you are gonna order something in a restaurant, you go oh guy and you ask for a like waitress to come. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or actually, you can even say it to people as a thank you as well, like as a shortened version of guy side. Guy, thank you. Guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Any any cool phrases you've learned in in uh, in in any languages that you've 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 liked recently? Cool phrases. Taiwanese, Cantonese, Mandarin, or yeah. I English. think okay. Going Mandarin. off of what my mom said, like like a. Uh, like the way she would like talk to me and my brother <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, there was also another thing she used to call us uh which is banjing baliang which is like tweedledee tweedledum ah, you heard that before i think okay i'll look it up yeah so it's like tweedledee tweedledum okay yeah kind of banjing baliang is just like like you two, like you two silly people. I don't know, but she would call us that. <laughs> oh, I learned something new. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Tweedledee, Tweedledum. It specifically works well for when you have two kids. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice, mm. cool. 
uh for yeah. um anyone that wants to check out your work uh w- what's the best place instagram or what do you what do you want to plug anything you know uh i guess my ig my website has been not working for a while so i ah. guess my ig is the best place to go uh my ig is as you mentioned herbie stripes which is h-e-r-b-y and then stripes just like like a zebra has stripes s-t-r-i-p-s check it out yeah. we'll have it linked below and then uh what what's what anything coming out uh soon anything you're working on so i mean i think that at the moment i'm working on another book project uh specifically like a self-portraiture project but that i think will oh. i'm i want to really take my time with that i might need another like year or so to complete that but i think most of the projects that i'll be working on are at the moment just a lot of small personal shoots but also just a lot of small kind of uh non-photography related projects to do with the space so one oh, okay. sneak peek i can give you just it's more like a community project is um do you know Colombian coffee carts? Have you seen them before? Not really, no. Are they cute? <laughs> so, I mean, they're just like, yeah, I guess they're kind of cute. They're just like these guys with like different kinds of coffee and they have a little cart and they go around the neighborhood and they sell coffee. But the nice thing about it is like, there's a certain photo I saw some some time ago of like, just all these neighbors just standing hand in their pocket and like coffee and talking to their neighbors around the coffee cart. So Uh that's a a project that me and the studio are going to be working on because I I love just like classic, just drip coffee, very Mm. cheap, but like very energizing coffee. Um, And so I and my studio mates at the moment are planning on having a little kind of community coffee cart where it's cheap coffee and it's for nothing, but we go around our neighborhood with the coffee <laughs> cart, offer coffee and see if we can talk to our neighbors um, and like meet them and kind of form kind of a closer bond with them, learn about their stories. And so that's an upcoming non-photography related studio project that I am currently working on, which is our coffee cart. Yeah. That's awesome. It's like a community event uh bring the community closer kind of uh activity i guess yeah yeah just come yeah. and hang out have a coffee you know and just oh. like uh also just really hear about the stories of the people who are in the same neighborhood as us mm. um it's just a way for us to meet people i guess but with coffee yeah that's dope awesome well thanks mm. so much kelly uh this this has been great uh mgoy, yeah mgoy. <laughs> thank you yeah well, guys Ali, thank you so Mugoi much Sai. for your time james take care thank huh? you so much for your time yeah All right. yeah take, take care. care of yourself bye, bye.